0: I'm reading this morning from the book of Psalm 127, Psalm 127 and verse number 1 today in your hearing. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. God, we pray right now that you would undertake, God, now to help me to speak the word you've given me, Lord. Share it and speak it to your people, God, into our hearts and lives today. Let someone be helped, oh, Lord God, I pray along the way. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name we ask it, Lord. Amen and amen. Praise God. Shake a few hands and greet somebody as you're being seated this morning. Hallelujah. Praise God. Life is a work in progress. And as we get older, it's amazing how fast time goes by. When you're young, you think it's never going to happen. You're never going to get there. I'll, when will I ever get my permit? When will I ever get my driver's license? When will I ever get out of high school? <laughs> and then i got to go to college. When am I going to get done with that? And w- when am I going to get married? And who am I going to get married to? And where am I going to find a job? And there's so many things that are there, all of them being potentials, all of them being future promises. But when life goes along its pathway... Each one of those slots gets filled. Time passes behind and life moves forward. And before you know it, you're a grandpa with five grandkids. And maybe more coming, who knows. Yesterday, uh, my wife and I attended the golden anniversary of Pastor and, and Mrs. Ellis, who pastor a Pentecostal church in Warrensburg. And we've known them for many years. And uh, we were invited to come. I was asked to say the grace and invoke the blessing at the beginning of the ceremony. And uh, it's just—it was a wonderful thing uh, to watch uh, uh, PowerPoint presentations, and then the old slide projector came out with even older photographs. And, and just looking back at a, 19, a 1955 Bel Air uh, vehicle. Baby blue and white, you know, and beautiful car there, and just married on the back of it, and then, you know, seeing going back and looking at pictures of the 60s, the 70s, and on, and as the family grows and time changes people, amen. But uh, the the one factor that that holds people together <clears throat> is is the love that is shared between that man and that woman. This is the second kind of anniversary I've been invited to in the last 12 months concerning pastors and their wives, and once again the love uh, that these two people have for one another was very, very evident in all the pictures and certainly in that celebration. And it's an amazing thing to see, you know, how that God can take two people and bring them together. In this case, they were high school sweethearts, in fact, she was an old married lady before she graduated from 12th grade. And not by necessity, but by choice. And uh, so, uh, you know, back in those days, we started life rather young, didn't we? I mean, I was married at 19 and my wife was almost 18. Don't you young people get any ideas. <laughs> There's a lot of growing up that we had to do and you need to do before you make that step. But uh, here is a quotable quote from Pastor Lefay Loving your family is like a cookie jar. You can only take out of it what you put in it. Right? And at the end of your life, you know, if you've built the right kind of a life and been a good family person and loved your family, at the end of your days you're going to be able to go back to that cookie jar and enjoy the goodness that will come out of it. Amen? Because you put goodness in it all of the days of your life. God is building lives. He's building our lives. I've heard it said, and I quote this. It was told a group of ministers, and I believe it is true by way of encouragement. God is is building a man, not a ministry. He's building a man, not a ministry. And we can break that down to each and every one of our lives. God is building a man or a woman, He's not building a career. Uh, he's, he's, he's building you, and he uses life and the things of life to do it. <clears throat> now, uh, let's just talk about electricity for a moment. Uh, uh, electric uh, electricity, as you know, flows through wires, but there are gates where it stops and starts. A switch is a polar device. It has poles on it. And uh, it could be three poles or it could be six poles. And whichever way you are running your electricity, if the switch is pointing in one direction, two of those three poles are active. If it's pointing the other way, the other two are active. So the middle pole is always active, but either one end or the other is active and the other isn't. And so that's an on-off switch. And if it's switched to the side that's on, those two poles Are open Now, and the electricity is open, it can flow through the switch and out through the various processes that it wants to take. If you switch it the other way, you've closed the gate. So a switch is a gateway for electricity to flow through. And God has his ways in our life. God has his ways in our life. And there are switch points. Can I say to you today that there are switch points? In our lives. And uh, things can happen that either turn the switch on or turn the switch off. And God can have a point in our time when the gate is open and everything goes through and you uh, feel, you know, that you got your answer to prayer. Everything is working. There are other times when the gate is closed. We may not understand why that gate is closed. We've come to God and we pray, God, you know, and it doesn't seem like that God is answering our prayer. But there's a reason why the gate is closed and it's up to us to learn the way of God and to learn the will of God in our life. Sometimes we desperately want things that God uh, knows is not good for us at this time. And so He keeps the gate closed. But suddenly the gate can spring open and then all the good things start happening. But God is on the other side of the switch He is on the other side of that switch if we let him turn the switches on and off. But we do have access to the switch ourselves. And we can reach up and shut the switch off or turn it on in our own way. There are things that we can do to turn the switch off in our life. There are things we can do to turn it off. The Bible tells us that the woman's hair is assigned to the angels and she has power on her head because of her hair, her long hair given to her from God. And if she takes scissors to her hair in the same context of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 11 chapter, she takes scissors to her hair, the Bible says she might as well take a razor to her hair and shave it all off. If she's gonna cut any of it, she might as well just cut it all right off bald because as far as it does anything for her spiritually, she's just closed the door and the angels have to stand by, and they do not have the power to work in her life that they would have had had she kept that open to God. So that switch is a switch of sanctification. She sanctified herself to God and kept the power open. In the Old Testament, there was a comparison to the Nazarite vow, and a man could take a Nazarite vow and not put scissors to his head and let his hair grow. And it was to separate him in this vow of separation. I will not cut my hair for sanctification purposes. Now we do not find that to be a habit of the New Testament church where we were told by Paul that a man should have short hair and a woman should have long hair. But there was a time when that was an act of separation to God And uh, that consecration was to bring power. When we set aside a time of prayer and fasting, we go after God with fasting and prayer. What we are doing is uh, trying to open a switch in the spirit world. We've sanctified ourselves and consecrated ourselves uh, and set ourselves apart and said, I'm not going to engage in certain things. I've put them off limits for a time because... I'm trying to find God and I'm looking for the switch that can turn the power back on in my life. And some things will only get taken care of by prayer and fasting. The Bible says that. So we can reach up and pull a switch on or we can turn a switch off and stop God from blessing our lives. Hallelujah. An example of a God switch I will call it truth and expediency. Truth and expediency. 1 Corinthians 6 and 10 says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Now if it's a law, there's truth in law. Uh, law, A law uh, says something, but it must be obeyed. It becomes an absolute that you have to abide by. It's a law if you transgressed that absolute, uh, you've broken faith with the law and you are now in the false place of where the law is concerned instead of a true place. Truth and expediency. You can go to one person for counsel and they'll tell you the truth. You can go to another person for counsel and they'll tell you what is expedient. Sometimes if you already know the truth, you don't need to go to somebody to tell you the truth, but you need to go to somebody to tell you what's expedient because that's going to help you to deal with the truth that you have in your life. Now, the expedient counsel is not necessarily concerned with truth, but pragmatic experience. But in all cases, these are switches that can turn things on and off. They can turn things on and off. On the one hand, we're required to live in the truth. But on the other hand, we are also responsible to behave in expeditious manner, to be expedient, to be resourceful, to be good stewardship, to be pragmatic, to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So there's a fine balance between both experiences. But in any case, there can be a switch that can turn one way or turn the other way. Now I want to talk about the second law of thermodynamics which is, which states something along this lines that a body in motion tends to stay in motion and a body at rest wants to stay at rest. So let's apply this to a spiritual sense and let's just say that there's a second law of spiritual inertia, the law of spiritual inertia and that is once you get the ball rolling spiritually it wants to stay rolling. It wants to keep moving. It wants to keep going. Hallelujah. When you get a good shout on, you want to keep shouting. Your physical body may wear out and get tired, but inside you're still jumping up and down. It's like a little boy went to church and he kept wiggling up, you know, and, and getting up on the seat and jumping up and down. And his, his mama kept telling him, Sit down and be, be still. Sit down and be still. And he kept getting up and jumping up and down. Finally, she took him out and whooped him and brought him back in and said, Now you sit down and be still. And he sat down there and he had a pat on. And after a while, she looked over to him and said, What you thinking about, honey? And he said, He said, Outside, I'm sitting down, but inside, I'm still jumping. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Sometimes we get like that. It wants to stay in motion. We get that place in God, it wants to stay in motion. But it's also difficult when you are at rest and, and there is no forward momentum spiritually and you've been stuck in the rut for a long time. I talked about this last Sunday, how hard it is to get a revival going in your spirit when you haven't touched God in a long time, when you haven't had a breakthrough in a long time. It's not an easy thing. I watch people backslide and go away from God and go away from the church and they come back. And they go to the altar and they pray and they cry and they seek God, but it's not like it was before. At least not at first. And that can be discouraging. If you've fallen down, if you've fallen down, and you're trying to get back up and get your inertia going again, and you try to move forward, it's, it's a hard job. To get yourself rolling again. It's, it's hard to get to the place where you feel clean and forgiven. And a fresh start of the anointing the power of God. Amen. What am I telling you? Is that listen. Amen. Once you get the thing moving. Don't let anything stop you. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep going. And if you're trying to get it moving. Don't stop trying to get it moving. (laughs) Keep pushing. Nothing may happen at first. And then a little bit, it might move an eighth of an inch. And and then a quarter or three quarters. And it's it's like a thousand pound steel ball and you're pushing on it. Amen. Just keep pushing. Keep praying. Keep worshiping. Keep living right. Because it's the second law of spiritual inertia. Now, God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh day. And this command is reflected in the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Not to do any work on the Sabbath day, but to rest on the Sabbath day. This is an Old Testament command given before people had the Holy Ghost. Before the Holy Ghost could be given to them, they had to do something to restore their spirit. And and they were the only people who did this. In the olden days, they worked seven days a week. They were just like Chinamen. They never stopped. But the Hebrews took a day off. And as long as they took a day off, God's blessing was upon them. But if you were a merchant in business... That was a hard job to take that day off. And people would come from other cultures and bring their goods outside of the gates of the city and they'd set up for market on the Sabbath day. And the people of God would want to run out there and buy and sell and trade. But God said, close the door and shut the city up and don't let them in and don't go out there. Let them sit out there and sell nothing because this is a day I have told you to rest. Now, that tells me that spiritual rest is not an option. It's mandatory. Hallelujah. You've got to take a spiritual break in your life. If you don't take that spiritual break, certain things will stop moving and working as they should. And it will be harder to get it started up again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isaiah told us in Isaiah 28 and 11, speaking of of the Holy Ghost, he said that they would be speaking in stammering lips and another tongue, and this is the rest, and this is the refreshing, God said. Yet they would not hear, the Holy Ghost is given us to be our day of rest. Where better, amen, to be filled with the Holy Spirit than to come to the house of God. On Sunday morning and give your worship to the Lord and be touched by the Holy Ghost again. That's your spiritual rest. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Moses told the people of God in Exodus 31 and 17 a very interesting thing here about the rest that is required. Exodus 31 and 17 said, It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. That's interesting. God? God was refreshed? Hallelujah. I never saw that before. I knew He made the earth in six days, the world in six days, and He rested on the seventh, but I never saw where God got something out of it. God took a break and refreshed Himself. Wow, that's powerful. Hallelujah. If God wanted to be refreshed, doesn't He think that we need to be refreshed as well? Of course He does. Acts 3.19 The Bible speaks about the times of refreshing. Amen. Hallelujah. Acts 3.19. This is another form for Acts 2.38. You'll find the same elements in here. Acts 3.19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. We know Acts 2.38 tells us to repent. That's one thing. That's... And then it talks about your sins being blotted out. When we're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins, it removes our sins or blots them out. So that's talking about water baptism for the remission of sins. And then the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. With stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people. Yet they would not hear. This is the rest and this is the refreshing. Hallelujah. The times of refreshing are the Holy Ghost. And God gives us a time of refreshing in the Holy Ghost. That is His intention. That is His will and desire. Hebrews, Paul in Hebrews uh, uh, makes it even more formulaic. And uh, I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 4 now. uh, There will be several passages of the scriptures here. Hebrews 4, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left, left us, of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short. Now Paul is talking about how Israel was taken from Egypt and was sent to the promised land. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, but God was going to send them to a place of rest and refreshing. A place of their own. Amen. But they could eat of vines that they didn't plant and live in houses that they didn't build. That, That was going to be an awesome thing. God is going to rest them and refresh them. But... There was a fear of entering into his rest, lest you come short of it. What happened to the first generation of Israel? Israelites that came out of Egypt. Did they enter into the rest? No, they didn't. Why? They fell short. They fell short. They stopped their momentum. What powerful momentum. They left Egypt at the end of 12 terrible plagues that God did on the Egyptians. And they left with a high hand and a bag full of money. Hallelujah. And they crossed the Red Sea with the Egyptian army hot on their heels and God destroyed their enemy right in full sight of them. Hallelujah. Amen. They were rolling. I mean they were rolling. And within two to three years they could have been in that promised land. But they let things stop them. They got a gripe and an argument. They got a complaint and a murder. And they let things stop them. Amen. They stopped by the pool of Myra, the bitter water. Amen. And they had a breakdown. They had another breakdown at Sinai. They had another breakdown when the 12 spies came back. Amen. With an evil report. They kept breaking down. And for 40 years, they struggled. And they failed. And they fell short. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of us should seem to come short of it. For under us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. But we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, I have sworn in my wrath that they shall enter into my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, God, you see, is building a church. He's building a house and it was laid at the foundation of the world. My God, hallelujah, it's a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus is the first, the last, the Alpha, the Omega. He's the Almighty, He who is and was and is to come. Everything has been planned out and laid out. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son made of a woman born under the law. God has it all planned out. From the foundation of the world, I can have confidence, amen, that God's building a house and it will not fall. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day, and this wise, God did rest on the seventh day from all of his works. Verse 10 and 11, for he that has entered in, into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest that any man fall after the same example of unbelief. All right. Labor is effort. And that means that things have to be moved forward. If you're going to work, you're going to get things done. Certain things are going to come to existence that would not have come into existence without it. This building would not be here. Hey, Amen. Without a handful of people that work together in a church that Worked and made money and gave it to the church so that the other guys and the other women in the church could come here and work and build this. How many of you had a hand in building this? Would you just wave your hand? If you helped in any way in this building program. Man or woman, if you helped in any way. Hallelujah. We wouldn't be here today without it. It's work. It takes work. It takes effort to get things done. Amen. So so we, we have to do the work in order to get to the resting point. And the work is the on switch that gets us to the place where we want to be, where we can take a break and rest. But be assured of this, that it's not all work and no play, that it's not all work and no fun, that it's not all sacrifice and labor and giving your life away and getting nothing out of it. It isn't that way with God. It isn't that way with God. Amen. But if you will do the will of God and do the work of God in your life, He's promised a blessing. He's promised to build the house. He'll build your house and give you time off. (laughs) Hallelujah. 23rd Psalm tells us he leads us beside still waters. Verse 3 says, He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. Psalm 51 was read to you today by Brother Joe. Restore in my heart a clean spirit. Give me a free spirit. Give me a clean heart and restore in me a free spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. God is working in our lives. Always working in our lives. And if you happen to turn the switch off on God, and you've been living in the off side of the switch for a while, amen, and you're down spiritually, and your spiritual inertia has stopped, your forward momentum has stopped. Amen. There's a way God wants to get it started again. Hallelujah. Amen. God doesn't want us to be defeated. He doesn't want us to be broke spiritually. He wants us to be fixed and healed and operable spiritually. He wants us to be functioning in His house and doing what He wants us to do. And He's willing to restore us. Hallelujah. Brother Jim, something breaks down in your house or your car. You take it out to the shed or the shop and you take it apart. You find out what's broken. You, you find out the broken pieces and the parts. You order new parts. You put the new parts in. You put it all back together. You turn the key on. The thing turns over. You get behind the wheel and drive off. You took a piece of junk that wouldn't do anything for you. But you restored it. You rebuilt it. And you put it back in service. And it'll just stay running and doing everything it's supposed to do. So long as it can be restored, it's functional and it's useful. And that's what God... None of us are wasted. God is working to restore us. Now, if you are in a broke down place, uh, you know, the Bible tells us that if if our hearts condemn us, there's a certain fear... Uh, that goes along with that condemnation that we we have fear in our life people who live in sin are fearful of the outcome the bible has certain promises for us if we have fear dictating our lives because god has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind and there may be things that you are afraid of or that i am afraid of and fear can cripple us fear can hinder us. Fear can stop our forward momentum. Fear can tell us, look, look, you should not be out there doing that because you are broke down. And, and uh, if you ever get found out, if you ever get discovered, you will be finished. You, you'll be done. There's no point in you getting out there and doing anything. But God wants to restore us. And He can get us beyond any truth that ever comes out about us. Hallelujah. And put us back together again. Job 5, 17 through 19. I'm reading several scriptures today from the contemporary English version. Consider yourself fortunate if God all-powerful chooses to correct you. He may cause injury and pain, but He will bandage and heal your cuts and bruises. God will protect you from harm no matter how often trouble may strike. I like it in this language because it just makes it so much clearer and plainer what it is that God is promising. These are promises of God that He wants to do in our life. In in uh, in verse twenty one, it says this: "You will be sheltered without fear of hurtful words or any other weapon." Got a powerful fear in your life? You're paranoid. But like if you live for God, you will be sheltered from hurtful words. Or any other weapon. Hallelujah. I can walk in this context with God. Not needing to worry or fear about these types of things. Job chapter 11 uh, verses 13 through 19. Surrender your heart to God and turn to Him in prayer. And give up your sins. Even those you do in secret. Then you won't be ashamed. You will be confident and fearless. Your troubles will go away like water beneath the bridge. And your darkest night will be brighter than noon. You will rest safe and secure, filled with hope and emptied of worry. You will sleep without fear and be greatly respected. What a powerful promise. Hallelujah. If we turn on the right switch, don't keep your spiritual switch on off. Amen. Turn the switch and let the power of God begin to flow in your life. And let Him build restoration in you. And with restoration comes spiritual confidence. Your prayers will be answered. They can be answered. You're not that person that made that mistake. You're the person God sees you at right now. That's where you are right now. That's who you are. Amen. Hallelujah. Psalm 62 verses 5 through 7. Hallelujah. Only God gives inward peace, and I depend on him. God alone is the mighty rock and keeps me safe. He is the fortress where I feel secure. God saves me and honors me. He is that mighty rock where I find safety. What powerful comfort can come to someone who's living in spiritual fear? Psalm 71, 1 through 3. I run to you, Lord, for protection. Don't disappoint me. You do what is right, so come to my rescue. Listen to my prayer and keep me safe. Be my mighty rock, the place where I can always run for protection. This is beautiful. Psalm 91, 1 through 4. Live under the protection of God Most High and stay in the shadow of God All-Powerful. Then you will say to the Lord, You are my fortress, my place of safety. You are my God, and I trust you. The Lord will keep you safe from secret traps and deadly diseases. He will spread His wings over you and keep you secure. His faithfulness is like a shield or a city wall. I will share a story with you, a deeply personal story with you. I read this passage of Scripture, and I marked it down in my prayer journal on a certain day that something happened. Uh, a couple of weeks ago I was on my way to church on a Sunday morning. It was one of those cold Sunday mornings. Frost was in the air, it was on the windshield and I had spent a sweet, sleepless night the night before dealing with issues concerning things happening in the district on the district board and just just so in, in trouble, and, and, and I was driving to church, my wife was with me, and for some reason, I, I just lost my focus driving, my mind was somewhere else, and <clears throat> I went through the first of the f- two four-way intersections on Middle Line Road down here, just drove right through it, never saw the stop sign, just drove right through it, there was nobody around, nobody around, and a cop came out of nowhere. I never saw it, but I hadn't gone a tenth of a mile down the road when the lights flashed on and he pulled up behind me and I pulled over and he came to the window and he said, do you have any idea why I pulled you over? And I said, no, sir. I said, I have no idea whatsoever because I was going to speed limit. I was going to speed limit. I didn't know. What in the world? I was the only only car on the road. What is he stopping me for? He he told me what had happened. I would blown right through a four-way. Now, listen, I've been traveling this road for years, coming back and forth here through the building program all these years, coming back and forth. I have never one time blown a four-way stop on this highway. Never one time. And this is the one time I do it, and there happens to be a cop there. And I just know I'm going to get a ticket because I'm an old man, you know. And, uh, you know, you just don't have mercy on men, and especially old guys. If If I was my wife driving, you know, I would expect she'd get off, but I'd get the ticket. I was ready to get the ticket. But he asked me why I was going. I said, I'm going to church, getting ready for my Sunday morning service. And he obviously believed my story. He, he, he could tell from my demeanor and my manner that I was as shocked as he was that I just run that four-way stop. I didn't see it. I just went right through it. And he let me go. I came to church, got here on time. I didn't get a ticket. That was wonderful. But that's just leading up to this story. Last summer in August, we were on our way to Maine on vacation. We were traveling through Vermont. You know, the highways are slower in Vermont than in New York, so it takes some getting used to for a New Yorker and I don't drive fast despite all the legends and stories and myths that have been told about (laughs) me over the years. I haven't had a speeding ticket in years for the very good reasons that I don't speed. If I happen to be on the thruway, it's 65 miles an hour, I set my uh, cruise at 67 just so I don't get bottled up behind the big trucks and I'll drive all across the state doing that. If I go Five miles over the speed limit, that's it. I feel like that's reasonably staying in within the reasonable range of the speed limit. So I'm not one of these guys that's going to go 12 or 15 or 18 miles over the speed limit and get pulled over all the time because I know I'm speeding. I try not to speed, and I was trying not to speed. And speed limit went from 50 to 45, and within just a very short time, it went from 45 to 35 as we were entering in a little community in a little village. And I rounded the corner of the village and as soon as I came around the corner I saw just a tenth of a mile away a a speed posted sign 25 miles an hour and a trooper sitting right under it. And so I slowed down. I was going 38, which was just a few miles over the 35, last posted speed limit I saw. 35, I was going 38 and I slowed down. When I got to that sign I was doing the speed limit. Now I know from GPS readings that The speed limit stops a few feet after the sign. That's where it starts. That's where the changeover is. So by the time I got there, I was doing the speed limit. I thought everything was cool. And it wasn't cool. And the lights came on. And it was a female trooper. And she was there to do business. I mean, she didn't want to hear my story. You know, why have I pulled you over? I don't know. Well, you're speeding, doing uh, 38 and 25. Well... By, it's, I saw the posted speed limit. You know, I was doing the speed limit by the time, but there was another sign <coughs> that I did not see. I honestly didn't see it. They were coming so quickly, and I didn't see it, and I fell into a elegant planned speed trap. She knew well that this would work. People coming around the corner wouldn't see her until it was too late, and she was there to write the ticket out. She didn't want to hear a story. She didn't want to just know I'm going to give you a warning and see you down the road. Write me up. She wrote me up. So <clears throat> I send the ticket in, and I'm going to plead not guilty because I'm, I'm just infuriated because I know that I was not trying to speed, that as far as I knew I was obeying the law, I just missed the sign. And so I'm going to fight this, you know. I said, honey, should I get a lawyer? She says, no, don't get a lawyer. Don't spend the money. Just go to court. So I'm going to go. It's 110 miles to the court from my house. And wouldn't you know it, I don't hear from them all all fall, I don't hear from them all fall, I don't hear from them until they send me a court date of last week, February, on Tuesday when there's a snowstorm. Um. (laughs) They know what they're doing. (laughs) She called and got the information and I typed a letter up and requested a telephone hearing. Have you ever heard of a telephone hearing? you haven't, well, you're going to hear one now. So they granted me a telephone hearing, told me that I needed to be by my phone at 3 p.m., 10 minutes to 3 on last Tuesday, and be around for at least another two hours so they could call me. So I got a knot in my neck for two days. I can't even turn my head. I'm so anxious. I'm so upset, so worried about how this is going to go down. I've written a page and a half letter stating my case to the to the judge. I, I mean to tell you, I'm fighting this, I'm fighting mad. I don't deserve this ticket. My wife kept telling me, don't worry about it. But you know, you know how it is. You know, that you just you're living under that shadow, and you're worrying, you're worrying. So it's Tuesday afternoon about 1 30. I'm going down to prayer. I read this verse of scripture that I just read to you. And, and verse number three, where it said, uh, "The Lord will keep you safe from secret traps and deadly diseases." When I read that, it just like it jumped out at me, and I said to myself, "God, are you trying to tell me something today? Are you? Is this a sign that you're going to help me out today? I mean, it, it just—it it, it was real. I mean, I felt it. This was—this is my moment. This is my sign. God's speaking to me in the Word, and I felt it." And I went to prayer, and I said, God, just help me today with this. Because, you know, worst case scenarios, they'll mark it down. They'll make a lower uh, infraction. I won't get points, but I'll still spend a hundred and something dollars, you know. And, you know, I just I don't think it's fair or right. And so I'm just worried about it. Three o'clock comes no phone call. Ten after three, I'm calling the court. I'm calling the court. I'm saying, hey, did you get my phone number? Because if you didn't get my phone number uh, and you can't contact me, you're gonna you're gonna write me up. You're gonna you're gonna slam me with t- with fines. And so, uh, oh no, we got your we got it. And just hang up and, and wait for the call. Ten minutes later, the, la- the lady called me back, and she said, uh, this "Is this Mr. Fagan?" I said, "Yes." And she said, "Well, she said the court, the judge has thrown your case out. He's dismissed your case." It's Mr. Case. I said, what does that mean? What does that mean? There's no fines? There's no nothing? He said, no, there's nothing. She said, the officer didn't show up. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. We can use that scripture, huh? What? (laughs) What I'm trying to tell you here is that it's possible to live spiritually in a place with God where switches can be turned on for you and good things can happen and where God can speak to you and God can take care of it and God knew how worried I was about that he knew how unfair I felt that to be and and he spoke to me I mean he used the word to speak to me and I felt it I knew he was saying something to me and I wrote it in my prayer journal I wrote it down in my prayer journal even before I heard from the judge Amen. I feel like God is speaking to me and and I went to prayer and I'm hanging on to that promise. But but oh, what a relief it was when I heard the words. The case has been thrown out. God has thrown it out. Hallelujah. No marks, no no tickets, no fines, no nothing. God knows how to take care of us because He's building us. He's building a house. He's building us. He knows how to take care of us. Now, This is the house that Jack built. This is the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the cat that killed the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the dog that worried the cat that killed the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the cow with the crumpled horn that tossed the dog that worried the cat that killed the rat that ate the malt that built the house that Jack built. Hallelujah. I could go on and on and on, but you've heard, you've heard that nursery rhyme before. A lot of things are going on in our lives, Hallelujah. And I don't know about Jack's house; apparently, it was built on malt liquor. <laughs> but God is building a house for Himself and for us. He's building a house. The Lord's Prayer says, let your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that prayer, we're asking God to throw the switch open in our direction. Let your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. But I can't pray for God to do His will on this earth if I won't get in His will. If I'm running from His will, I can't pray and ask God to do His will if I'm not obeying His will. If the Word has spoken to my life and I disobey it, I can't ask God for His. If my pastor has told me, don't do it, and I do it anyway, I can't expect God to do His will on earth because I'm running from the will of God. Amen. If I'm not living as I should live, and I've got that secret sin in my life, I can't ask God to do His will on earth as it is in heaven because I've thrown the switch in the wrong direction. So we're asked to pray. We're invited to pray. Let your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. But we've got to be in His will in order for that prayer to get answered. Jonah ran from God's will. But did he manage to avoid it? No, he didn't. Balaam missed God's will. But did he change it? No, he didn't. Peter fell out of God's will. But did he get a do-over? Yes, he did. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. God is building this church. You go ahead and start that music, please, Brother Butch. God is building this church. He's planted you in it, and He's building it. We each, one of us, are lively stones being built in the house of God. God planted you here. To build his house. But while he's building his house, he's building your house. He's building you. Amen. Solomon was instructed by David to build God's house. David wanted to build God's house. But God said to David, David, I understand you want to build a house for me, but listen, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And God didn't let David do the work. But he let his son do the work. And that's how God started building David's house. By putting a successor on his throne. Hallelujah. I will build your house if you get in the will of God. And if you grow where you're planted. And you'll be a part of what God is trying to do. Amen. In your life God will build you as he builds his house together. God's trying to build this church. He's trying to build this ministry. He's trying to build this people. And we're going to help God build by learning to live in His will. By being a part of His will. I came here to tell you today, this church is going to grow. This church is going to build. This church is going to need a building program. This church is going to need a place to put people. There are young men and women in this church whom God has a plan for their life to be used to be win-soul-winners. And church planners and builders. God is going to build this ministry. He's going to build this church. He's going to make things happen, no matter what the devil says. But we're going to turn the switches on. We're going to turn it on. So God can do His work. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to turn the music up a little bit. The altar is open. Listen to the words of these songs I've selected for you to hear. And be restored to the Lord. Come to a place of prayer. Come to a place of hope. Come to a place of faith, of positiveness, a place of growing spiritually. Amen. And say, here I am, God, build in me. Build in me. Grow in me. Let me grow in the will of God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you,